up, you beautiful bastards? Hope you had a fantastic Tuesday. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. Buckle up, hit that like button, and let's just jump into it. And first up, even if just briefly, we need to talk about something very important regarding voting this year. I know, I'm starting off with the vegetables. Now, of course, as always, when I talk about voting, I'm gonna link down to two fantastic resources on when and how to vote in all 50 states. Depending on your state, there can be different election rules, deadlines for early and absentee voting. Given a number of factors, it is better if you do everything sooner rather than later. Also here, I'll say I've been happy to see that there are a number of creators trying to get their viewers to vote. Most recently and notably, at YouTube OG's Rhett and Link, launching Vote like a beast, which is our new registration and education campaign. They've got information, tools, powered by vote.org. Also as part of the campaign, they're selling merch with 100% of the profit going to the nonprofit vote.org. But also one of the things we need to talk about when it comes to voting this year are expectations. According to a recent survey of US adults, 36% believe that we will know the winner of the election on election night, followed by 24% more that think we'll know in one to two days after the election. And then we see the smaller percentages for one week, a few weeks, a month after, more than one month after. And in addition to that, polling being incredibly significant, it is also concerning because we are seeing experts warn that it could take weeks. This is an important thing to consider because it is very likely that what we see on election night will greatly differ than what we see once all the votes are tallied. And understand, I'm talking about any potential exit poll reporting that we see from any number of outlets that might be doing that compared to the final vote tally whenever we get that. And the reason for that is this year we are looking at unprecedented levels of mail-in voting. Right around 40% of voters are saying they intend to vote by mail in this election, which is nearly twice as many as in 2016. And so it's very important we inform people about that so they can manage their expectations. And this is something that crosses party lines. According to that survey, there is only a 5% difference between Democrats and Republicans as far as who is expecting same night results. But yeah, that's just something I wanna get the word out in general and I hope that you will help because it is very concerning that about a third of the country is expecting something that experts do not believe will happen. And if that ends up still being the case on November 3rd, I just imagine that it will help fuel the chaos and confusion that night could give us. And then let's talk about Charlie Hebdo. Remember Je suis Charlie? For the people that remember, it's crazy to think that it's been over five years. And, and for those unfamiliar, back in January of 2015, the offices of the satirical French newspaper Charlie Hebdo was attacked. The terrorists who stormed the office killed 11 employees and a policeman nearby in Paris. Also in the days that followed, there were additional attacks. Five more people were killed and ultimately three terrorists were killed in shootouts with police. And as far as why this newspaper was targeted, targeted by Islamic extremists. It's widely believed that it's because Charlie Hebdo had long published controversial cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad. Now what we saw following this horrific attack was worldwide support for the magazine. People using the hashtag, Je suis Charlie, I am Charlie. We saw world leaders and millions of people marching in support. And as far as why we're now talking about this again in 2020, it's actually for two reasons. One, the trial of 14 alleged accomplices of the attacks is set to begin on Wednesday. According to the Guardian, the defendants, three of whom are being tried in abstentia and may have been killed in Syria, face various charges, including supplying weapons and providing logistical support for the attacks. Most of the 11 who will appear in court have said they knew the actions were for a crime, but claim they had no idea they were for mass killings, with this trial set to last until November. And also, two, to mark the start of the trial, Charlie Hebdo will be republishing controversial cartoons of the Prophet Muhammad, which notably is something they have not done in years since the attack. And as far as why they're doing this, you had the director of Charlie Hebdo saying, we have often been asked since January 2015 to print other caricatures of Muhammad. We have always refused to do so, not because it is prohibited, but law allows us to do so, but 
because there was a need for a good reason to do it. A reason that makes sense and brings something to the debate. Going on to say that reproducing these cartoons now seemed essential to us, and writing all the reasons that could be opposed to us relate only to political or journalistic cowardice. We want to live in a country that prides itself on being a great free and modern democracy, and which at the same time gives up on asserting its deepest convictions. And saying the reason for this coverage are as follows. These drawings now belong to history, and history cannot be rewritten any more than it can be erased. This happened. It was the publication of these drawings considered blasphemy by a number of Muslims, which was the motive for the January 7 massacre by assassins who wanted to, as they shouted on leaving from the premises of Charlie Hebdo, avenge the prophet. Yeah, with this story, the question I want to pass off to you is what are your thoughts regarding the reprinting of those images? Do you support them doing it? Is it them taking a stand for free speech and the right to offend? Or no, do you land on the other side? Do you think it's wrong? Why, why not? Any and all thoughts, I'd love to hear from you in those comments down below. And then let's talk about this story that stems from this viral photo out of California. There we see two young children sitting outside of a Taco Bell trying to use their Wi-Fi to do their schoolwork. And this blew up relatively fast. It was posted last Wednesday, started spreading on Twitter by Friday. With people noting in that photo, you see a couple of Taco Bell employees talking to the two girls, both employees seemingly concerned that these kids are alone. And you know, very quickly, we see this photo blow up. With people like former California Senate President Pro Tempore Kevin DeLeon tweeting about this, that tweet blowing up, saying two students sit outside a Taco Bell to use Wi-Fi so they can quote, go to school online. This is California, home to Silicon Valley, but where the digital divide is as deep as ever. Where 40% of all Latinos don't have internet access. This generation deserves better. All right, so immediately here, it seems like this is a situation that sprung out of necessity, that these kids don't have Wi-Fi at home and needed somewhere to connect. And well, right away, you had people responding to this tweet with comments like, can you find out how we can donate to pay for their Wi-Fi installation? You also had others concerned that this might be some form of neglect. In fact, that photo attracted so much attention that it led to a welfare check with Child Protective Services investigating to see if there was any child neglect or abuse happening. But ultimately, that investigation didn't turn up anything. However, what we later learned is that this family didn't just lack Wi-Fi at home. They were actually in danger of becoming homeless. This because they couldn't afford to pay rent. That information coming from a woman named Jackie Lopez who created a GoFundMe page for that family, saying that she originally wanted to start this fundraiser because these dedicated little girls didn't want to miss out on learning due to the fact they didn't have internet access at home. Also saying their story touched her and that she made it her mission to locate the family, which she then does. There, she meets with the mother of these girls, Juana, who she describes as a single mom. Also noting that Juana is an essential field worker who picks berries and that on her off days, she sells flowers on the side of the road. With Lopez saying that Juana doesn't take a day off because that is a day that she could be making a few dollars to provide for her girls. Going on to say upon meeting them and wanting to know what I can do to help, she started to open up to me. I asked her if I could get her girls a desk for distant learning and she mentioned there was no space in their home for that. She then said she shared a small bedroom with her three girls in the home she was living in, the same room she was going to be evicted from three days later on the 1st of September. Going on to know that Juana has been searching for a new home but has been unable to find one. And from there, we saw Lopez reaching out to her followers on Instagram who were then able to help provide the girls with items such as clothes, shoes, school supplies, essentials, food. Even saying they were able to buy the family a hotel room for a week while they help her search for a more permanent home. And you know, from there we see this GoFundMe page take off. It had an original goal of 20,000. It's currently sitting at more than 130,000. They're saying that Juan has been set up with a new accountant to help manage her funds, also taking a moment to thank everyone who's donated. And while this specific story does appear to have an obviously very happy ending, and that is wonderful, I also have to do my Philip DeFranco show thing and ruin your day. Because we need to go back to a point that that first viral post hit on, that the digital divide is as deep as ever. Right, a lot of students and a lot of families aren't going to go viral. They're still going to struggle. Right, it's the unfortunate truth of almost every happy GoFundMe story. Our society never set up a proper safety net for insert blank thing, but hey, we get to help one here. And understand, I, I don't mention this to throw mud on anyone trying to help any individual GoFundMe. I am so glad that there are people in the world that do want to provide good, but we need to understand this is a representation of a much bigger problem 
in a lot of ways. And here, going back to the digital divide, according to a June study from Common Sense Media and the Boston Consulting Group, 15 to 16 million public school students across the United States live in households without adequate internet access or computing devices to facilitate distance learning. Understand, that is 30% of all K-12 to public school students, with the divide being most pronounced in rural communities and households with Black, Latinx, and Native American students. This report also finding that the states with the largest K-12 digital divide are largely in the South, with Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Alabama showing the largest deficit by proportion, with other states like Texas, California, and Florida all having the largest gaps by population. But the report's still stressing that this is a problem in every state. And you know, even going back to the specific incident that we're talking about today for a second, we saw the county supervisor there say, California is the technology capital of the world. This is an embarrassment. Also noting that the incident took place just 45 minutes away from Silicon Valley, and adding, we have such a huge divide that's gone on for years, but now it's only amplified because of this pandemic. We know that there are thousands of other kids in a similar situation. There's a lot of homes and a lot of parents who don't even know how to use computers or how hotspots work. But that also doesn't mean that this is all just hopeless. Because this has been such an issue during the pandemic, we've seen a lot of school districts more aware, working to help bridge the gap. For example, we're seeing reports that the New Haven, Connecticut school district is using money from the CARES Act to provide laptops and tablets to all students. It's also providing hotspot devices and even holding classes for parents to make sure they know how to use them. And a lot of other places, in addition to seeing schools handing out devices, some are even offering their parking lots as Wi-Fi centers. But ultimately, that is where we are with this. And as far as the question, right, this is a different kind of story. I can't be like, do you think this is bad? Yes. So my question to you is, have you experienced anything like what we've been talking about in this story? Or have you witnessed it? Or have you seen the, the community try to help or a school district help in a different way? I'd love to hear from you. And that is where I'm going to end today's show. As always, thanks for being a part of these daily dives into the news. If you're new here, hit that subscribe button. And of course, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.